I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with open reach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable, full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash ni. Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup, now in association with Openreach. I'm Gareth Hanna and with me this week are Jonathan Bradley. Hello. And Adam McEntry. Hello. It's Six Nations time and this week we'll do a full preview of the upcoming tournament, mainly of course what it means for Ireland's Ulster contingent. We've also got some of your listener questions to address, but first of all, of course, the Ireland squad for Saturday's opener against Scotland has been announced while Stockdale, Henderson and Herring all start. Once again, it's a player not in the 15 that's making the headlines. That is obviously John Cooney. So he won that battle a few weeks ago now against Conor Murray when Ulster beat Munster. And after that, we had all sort of assumed that he'd done enough, not just in that game, but all season, to become Ireland's starting number nine. But lo and behold, here we are, number nine shirt, Conor Murray. And John Cooney once again on the bench. So... Jonathan, what exactly has happened? Why has Andy Farrell not opted for John? Part of it has to be that in the interim, we've also seen the not the emergence, but the consolidation of an uncapped number eight. So yeah. you're looking for continuity where you can get it elsewhere. Connor Murray, I think, has played better, probably against the Ospreys. And I, I know it was against the Ospreys, but that was probably as well as he's played for... A good bit, certainly since uh, he had that good performance in the World Cup. So I think the combination of those two things, more than anything else, I don't think you want to go a new 9 and 10 combination playing mm-hmm. behind an on-cab number 8. And I think the way, certainly, that the last two rounds of the Champions Cup um, sort of shook out, Doris became almost a must-pick at number 8 because you know, you're looking at it and it's not as if Andy Farrell's afraid to drop a big name because at the end of the day he's got Peter Mahoney on his bench in yeah. favour of an uncapped back row and has rejigged something that he's picked a back row that I think I would have picked but I just do suspect that that's maybe played a part in looking for continuity elsewhere So if that if he's considering that having uh, Cooney in as well then would be too many sort of players who haven't got great international experience, does this indicate that, because we all said after the World Cup that other nations had spent those four years with a vision on the World Cup, so but does this... You know, South Africa won it, having changed coaches 18 months out, you know. And England got to the final having dropped about six of their yeah. established players in the build-up to the World Cup. I think people... I'm just think, can we read, like, what can we read into Farrell's... Uh, sort of tactics but for his whole reign from this not can we extra- am I extrapolating too much from, from no not decision? at all but I think you can look at more who you picked as captain two weeks ago as a sign <laughs> that it yeah. wasn't going to be this overarching four year plan I think the World Cup prep as it were if you want to call it that really kicks in post Lions you know you look at the last World Cup 2015 Andre Porter James Ryan Jacob Stockdale hadn't even played in their under-20s World Cup by that stage. And they were the sort of least experienced, and then you throw Jordan Armour in there as well, least experienced players in the World Cup panel. So mm-hmm. it's there's nothing to say that, you know, there's players currently in the under-20s that could theoretically be playing in the World Cup in four years' time. So I do think 
that in the wake of Japan, everyone was very quick, understandably so, to say we need to do something different. We need to gear everything towards this huge event that happens once every four years. But even if Ireland had done that four years ago, and I think they did it, did it to a much greater degree than ever before four years ago, the luck of the draw still pitched them against mm-hmm. into a situation where they would have either had to play the world champions or the soon-to-be world champions in a quarterfinal. So it can, you know, all the best laid plans can go <laughs> south very quickly. So there's no point devoting 48 months worth mm-hmm. of Six Nations mm-hmm. to a World Cup that's four years away. I see what you're saying. So are you surprised by the decision not to include Cooney? Not because Doris has started. I'm, I'm going to agree with Johnny. I think if, um, if it had been Stander starting at eight, I think, I would have been shocked if Cooney hadn't started ahead of Murray, but because you've got Doris there, you have to have Murray there. But I also think Andy Farrell was always going to lean on that experience somewhere. I think mm-hmm. given that you know it's your first game in charge, you want to get off to a winning start just to get that momentum behind you. Somewhere in the team, you're going to have to stick with the tried and trusted from previous years, especially since he's been part of the whole system under Joe Schmidt. So he's aware of how the guys work and how the guys play. So somewhere on the team he was going to have to go with the guys he knew and the guys that he trusted. And it just so happens that it's Murray over uh, Cooney because you look at other places in that lineup where he's also done that, where he's stuck with Henderson over Devin Toner, who's arguably been in better form. He's brought in Aki instead of Henshaw. And then you balance that by putting in Conway for Earls, Doris for O'Mahony. Herring, I think, at Hooker as well is is sort of a sort of more of an experienced one than potentially pitching Ronan Callagher into his first Six Nations game from the off. So, I think it's it's just been trying to get that balance between I'm my own man and that realization of okay, well, John Cooney's the man in better form, but we know Conor Murray can do it at international level mm-hmm. and against Scotland, he should be able to get it done regardless of what form he's in. So. Um, not overly surprised very disappointed for John of course I think yeah. he he deserved to start this game but it's one of those ones where I think the selection has just gone against him on this mm-hmm. occasion but he'll get his chance during the Six Nations that's for certain mm-hmm. like the key thing to show that there's a point of difference between the old regime and the new regime is going to come with how many minutes he gets off the bench because oh. so much of yeah, John Kinney's yeah, international rugby has been paltry token appearances where I suppose to use Don McFarland as an example caps that you wouldn't get under Don McFarland because Don McFarland doesn't feel the need to use all of his bench mm-hmm. and one thing that sort of really annoys me is you know people coming off for two minutes it's like, what are you <laughs> going to do and it counts, as a, it counts as a cap which not to take caps away from people mm-hmm. but what impact are you going to make in two minutes? What impact are you supposed to make in two minutes? And then we get this argument that, you know, the Champions Cup is different to international rugby, so you have to show that you can do it in international rugby. So, like, John Kinney's nominated for European Player of the Year, but we're still getting this impression that international rugby is different from the Champions Cup. It's another step up, and it is. But you can't show that you belong at that higher level if you can't prove it in the Champions Cup and you're only given two minutes off the bench. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what I want to see, and I think what most people would want to see, is him to get 25 minutes or 30 minutes. Yeah. Ideally, 
in a game that's still hanging in the balance. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we we talked about it before. We saw that at Monster with Albie Matthewson coming out into games. Yeah, um, that were still to be decided and Munster felt comfortable doing that so there's no way that Ireland shouldn't feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. that the issue is going to be is whether we still have a game that's hanging in the balance with half an mm-hmm. hour to go this weekend but yeah time will tell so we have a few questions just about the uh, John Cooney situation uh, the first one Pardon? the John Cooney sitch as it's known John Cooney sitch as, it, as it's called in the trade um, Ryan Crooks says if John Cooney wore a blue Leinster jersey he'd be on surely we, we don't believe this Leinster bias uh, accusation. Or I think if there was serious Leinster bias, and not, sorry, not even Leinster bias, I thought that Robbie Henshaw would start because of that familiarity that he has with Sexton mm-hmm. and Ringrose. Yeah, I think Aggie's been in better form. I think McCluskey's been in better form than Aggie, but that's a debate for another day. But I thought that Henshaw's ability to, or sorry, Henshaw's familiarity from the club game would see him start ahead of Aki. That's not happened. Henshaw obviously can offer you more on the bench, but you could have had, um, I suppose, any number of backs on the bench in your 23 jersey that would offer more versatility than Henshaw. So I think if it was all down to, you know, we can't say it's all down to provincial bias when a close call has gone against a Leinster player in this instance. Mm, fair. And the other interesting point made on the um, listener questions from Chris Johnson who says Murray and Saxon are the ones earning the big bucks in the central contracts? Does that come into a coach's thinking at all? Almost like in football when clubs sign players for big money and think we better play them, and then they just play regardless of how they're playing because that's where the money's going. So they think, well, if we don't use them, then the money's being there's a feeling the money's being wasted. Is it something that comes into the thinking at all? It's something that's in the back of their minds. I, I wouldn't doubt that. But then I think you you also see again Peter O'Mahony being dropped to the bench for Keelan Doris, who's definitely not on a central contract. That's a prime example of where they've gone for the guy who's in form over the guy who has been struggling for a while. And I think if Doris hadn't started, I do think Cooney would have started instead of Murray. So I don't think they are married to this idea of if you're on a central contract, you start. So uh, I wouldn't completely agree with that that there's reasons behind Cooney not starting that we've gone over I don't think that's the sole reason why they've got him in I, I think whenever they give them the central contracts the thinking is these guys are going to be you know key guys who will start for Ireland pretty much every week mm-hmm. but you know if a guy's not in form you got to drop him because at the end of the day the RFU make their money through the national team and everything that they do is driven towards making the national team as good as it is and if they start dictating that players will play because they're on central contracts and that's to the detriment of the national team well then they're pretty much shooting themselves in the in yeah. the foot so um no I, I i don't agree that he's in solely because he's on a central deal yeah like keith Harris is on a central contract until 2021 and if there's anybody that's probably worried about whether this new dawn has heralded the end of their irish career beyond rob carney on the basis of today it's probably keith Harris. he's lost mm-hmm. out to 
his provincial teammate who's not on a central contact. So again, it's that situation. Similar to, and obviously the point that Adam made as well about Doris and mm-hmm. Omani, you know. Again, there's instances to show that yeah. that's not. All right, we just want a sense of injustice. John Cooney has been hard done by. Can you not just let us have it, guys? You've been working for it's us disgusting. for too. You've been it's working for us for too long. If you're just <laughs> seeking out the sense of injustice and everything. Um, I think it was you had written Jonathan in a piece probably after that monster game that John Cooney should probably start for Ireland. Your last line was something along the lines of, if not now, then when? Is that now a concern for John Cooney? If not now, when? Yes, because obviously I was having this conversation with somebody else earlier. It's hard to see what he could do more in an Ulster jersey to get a chance in an Ireland jersey. So on the basis of this, and I suppose... The, the mood music that you were hearing over the last couple of days, which sort of led to the fact that this was no surprise when the team announcement came out. I think it was really sort of Saturday, Sunday, you started to really get a sense of the fact that, you know, Murray was going to keep his place. It goes back to what I said earlier of if on the basis of this form for Ulster, he's not going to get an Ireland chance, then you just hope that he gets a chance from the bench. Yeah. There's obviously training as well, but I think Cooney himself has said that training's not the same playing in a game and you know you can get players that train the house down and then don't play well and you get players that train once or twice a week and play really well come the weekend you know mm-hmm. we haven't heard back from the, the press conference well we haven't heard much from the press conference yet in Portugal but all we have heard is that Andy Farrell pointed plenty to uh, Conor Murray's calmness around training and what he said was a was a pressured situation but he also spoke uh, about Will Addison said that Will Addison has had some up and down days with injuries since coming into the, the Ireland camp uh, and Addison of course missed out on the squad altogether Jordan Long was past fit so that was probably expected that he would come in but a surprise that Addison isn't even on the bench probably I suppose those uh, comments and injury maybe explain it yeah but before the injury comments I would have expected him to be on the bench as that number 23 is being able to cover 13, 14 and 15 mm-hmm. um, I suppose Henshaw does do that as well though there are certainly mixed uh, feelings on how he plays as a fullback compared to a centre, but he, he is capable of covering fullback, so he can play that sort of 23 utility role. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it takes on a whole new complexion now that you've had that those comments of up and down days with injury. You know, we, we don't know how bad that means he is, but it certainly means that he's been at a disadvantage in terms of selection, probably having to have had to sit out a few parts of uh, sessions during the week. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I think he probably hasn't had a fair crack of the whip but getting into the team again because of the injuries, which um, is a real shame because yeah. we, we know how good he is whenever he's fit and every time it seems to come to national selection, there's something flares up or there's mm-hmm. something that happens and it, it's just frustrating. You just really wish that Addison would get a, a clean bill of health at some point and gets a proper run at the national team because whenever he gets a few games under his belt, even if it's off the bench, even if it's starting, especially with Larmer, you know, not being a hundred percent heading into this week, you you thought that this was Addison's chance to get into that fifteen jersey and really take over and hopefully try and make it his own before Larmer got back, but um, just no luck, and that that's the biggest frustration you know it's a completely different situation to Cooney where Cooney's putting his hand up and doing all he can on form and he's still not getting selected Allison's doing everything he can as well and then just keeps getting injured so he's not even getting the chance to see if he would have been selected or not 
You just wonder if it's a point of difference between international rugby and club rugby because Andy Farrell hasn't obviously said too much on how injured he is, but he's made it sound like he's not seriously injured. He's just maybe missed a session here or there or struggled through a session here or there. Whereas we know that before the bath game, you know, he was on crutches on the Monday and playing by the Saturday. So Ulster, mm-hmm. I suppose, gave him that opportunity of, we don't need you in every session, but we want you mm-hmm. to be ready for the weekend. And that's maybe something that you're not going to get at international yeah. level. Like, it was relaxed in the later portion of the Joe Schmidt years, but there was always that famous, if you don't train on Tuesday, yeah. you're not playing on Saturday edict. And you almost get the sense that this is coming into it a little bit because they want, obviously... They're not as familiar with them and they want players that are available for every session, which I don't think is something that Ulster have been enforcing upon when it comes to selection. Probably the team selection being announced on a Tuesday as well (laughs) has probably worked against them too because you don't get that chance on a Tuesday and a Wednesday Mm -hmm. to prove yourself before the team's announced Mm -hmm. on a Thursday. You've got to be ready to go early in the week. If you don't train on Tuesday night, you're definitely not going to come in. We will see him start a game or two injury depending now, won't we, the Six Nations? I wouldn't put any bets on it now. Um, just to echo what Adam said, like I think with the injury doubt over Jordan Larmer, it would have been a huge chance because Jordan Larmer, as well as Will Addison has played since the World Cup, Jordan Larmer's been in spectacular form mm-hmm. and spectacular form at fullback yeah. to the point where Rob Carney's not in the Leinster starting lineup anymore, let alone not on the Ireland squad. And then you look at the wing situation and it's one of those where I think personally if Larmer tears it up at fullback, then you're going to be loath to move him back to the wing because he hasn't really, obviously that uh, rather spectacular hat trick against Italy and Chicago aside, hasn't really done it for Ireland in Mm -hmm. the same way while playing on the wing. So if he comes in, plays well at fullback, he's Ireland's fullback for the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, so it's difficult in that way mm-hmm. but then there's also like the the back three selections really interesting like we've spoken about we did, sorry we touched on Earls there like I've been a huge fan of Keith Earls I think he's been almost underrated as much as everybody knows how good he is for the last couple of years but he's 32 now hasn't been playing well really thought he was curiously off colour almost when they played when they played up here and you just wonder, you know, is he going to come back into the mix? Mm. You know, Conway's not young. He's not dissimilar to Cooney in the sense that he's sort of taken that circuitous path mm-hmm. to being seen as the player that he is now. Um, Stockdale, obviously you would hope, injury permitting, has one of the wing places locked yeah. down. But it's just who else, who's on that other wing, I think is interesting. On form... You'll appreciate this. On form, it's Robert Barbicoon. There we go, go, (laughs) folks. He's not in the squad. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how that plays out if Larmer does what I would expect him to do at fullback over the course of this championship. That's interesting that you say there, Barbicoon's not in the squad. He's out there as as a development player, which I understand is not part of the squad per se. But let's say he went out to Portugal, and we haven't had any reports on how well he's been there. Well, I haven't had any reports on how well he's doing. Let's say he goes out there and really impresses. What's not to say Andy Farrell goes, all right, let's bump you up to the squad for the second mm-hmm. half of the week. And then if he keeps impressing, what's not to say put him in? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny one, you're right, because it's like 
this is something that the All Blacks do. It's something that Eddie Jones has done with England, where you, people are brought in, I suppose, to get a taste of it when they're seen as not quite ready. But mm-hmm. obviously, it's not a World Cup, so you're right. Like, if come the Wales game, Andy Farrell's like, you know, <laughs> Robert Balakun is performing better mm-hmm. than anybody else in training and was playing, you know, in good enough form for Ulster before. He deserves a chance, whatever. And obviously, this squad is not a Six Nations squad. It's a squad for... The first two games. The first two games, yeah. you know. There are tears in my eyes, guys. Literal <laughs> tears in my eyes. What a time to be alive. Uh, no Stuart McCluskey in the panel. Probably not overly surprising, given that he wasn't even in the original <laughs> squad. But yeah. does he deserve to be on the bench? If you were if you were picking the Ireland squad, would you have him there in the 23? I, w- I wouldn't have him in the 23 purely because, and this is what we discussed last week, he can only cover 12. Yeah. And no, I see what you're saying. On, on the bench, you need to have someone who can ideally cover... First of all, 21 will be your scrum half cover... 22 will be kind of your 10, 12, mm-hmm. and 23 will be the guy that can cover everywhere else. And Wilkowski doesn't fit yeah. into any of those molds, so if he plays, he probably has to start. The reason I ask is to bridge nicely on the Kyle Johnson's question, who says, with Cooney and McCluskey not really in favour, what's stopping these players taking a big t- payday and signing for a French club if their Ireland aspirations aren't really going to happen in the Farrell regime? Is that a worry? We're one, squ- we're one squad into the final <laughs> regime. We're already talking about two players who were named in the squad leaving. Well, we were not. Even, yeah, we weren't even. One, but if not we, now, like, then. we weren't even a proper squad into the final regime when we were talking about whether it meant Jordy Murphy was going to leave. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's we have half of Austria's squad leaving <laughs> at this stage. Uh, well, Cooney and McCluskey are both on, on like Jordy, long-term contracts. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's there's no immediate danger. I think they're both twenty twenty one. No, sorry, twenty sorry, both twenty twenty two. I think. Okay. You got to bear in mind that in unlike football rugby contracts, the length actually means a great (laughs) deal more. So make the most of the next two and a half years, folks. That's all you're getting from Cody McCluskey. It's 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 a good point. Like, it, it is a very good point of. If you're not playing international rugby, why are you not taking more money? Because it's no secret that. Guys will get paid more if they go to France. Like your your lowest paid players in France are better play better paid than your lowest paid players in Ireland, and your highest paid players are considerably better paid in mm-hmm. France than they are in Ireland. And if you're not playing international rugby, there is always that draw of let's go and see if I can get a bit mm-hmm. more money elsewhere because it's a short career, and especially in rugby, you never know when it might end due to Absolutely. injury, due to complete loss of form or something like that so make the most of it while you can it's why you see all the southern hemisphere guys coming up to get a payday before their career ends um i don't admit well i was just gonna say it all depends on their mindset personally i think like cooney's as close as he's ever been to starting for ireland and you know being ireland's backup scrum half is nothing to be sniffed at either he is very open about how much he likes it in Ulster. He's very open about how much he likes, how much the fans love him. Um, so I don't think there's any reason for him to leave. Mm-hmm. And Stuart McCloskey's in possibly the best form he's been in yeah. as well. And, you know, he, he's been called into the squad, albeit belatedly, but he will probably have been delighted with the social media campaign that went on to get him into the <laughs> squad. And whenever you're... Both of them are so integral to what they're doing mm-hmm. at the province. 
especially whenever Ulster are very much on an upward curve in terms of what yeah. they're trying to achieve mm-hmm. and what they're trying to do. McCluskey has that, you know, home hometown province, you know, bond that Cooney has probably developed but doesn't necessarily have. Um, I think there's far too much keeping them in Ulster for them yeah. to go abroad and from an international perspective, I don't think either of them will be thinking to themselves, I'm, I'm done, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm out of this. I think we always assume as well that players can get more money in France. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I don't think it's always the case because I you have to I've... look at, it's a subtle enough change, but the change to the match day squads in France, mm-hmm. you know, they can't just bring in as many foreigners as they want anymore. So what they're really looking at, and I don't mean this is disrespect to to fantastic players, what they're really looking for is not players who are leaving because they can't get international rugby, but internationals. Mm. So if, say, McCluskey or Cooney really felt like a lifestyle change, then I could see it. But I don't know if it would be solely financially motivated because... I genuinely believe that both of them are worth more to Ulster than they would be to a French team mm-hmm. because they're so important mm-hmm. to Ulster. Yeah, absolutely. I think a French team would still be willing to pay for those two. Not 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 the big, big bucks, but I think they'd be willing to Enough. increase what they're being mm-hmm. paid here. It's Ulster's form that's important to me, or what Ulster are doing that I think is a big part of it too because like Ulster's just a good place to be right now. So surely that's keeping you there if all players' ambition are to win things. Ulster over the next year or two if they keep going the way they're going are going to do enough to convince them that they're, they're going to be able to do that at uh, Kingspan Stadium if BT6 you're, if you're talking about this two years ago you'd say it would would be more likely they'd go not massively more likely but there would be more of a chance that they'd go but um, yeah I think whenever you factor in where Ulster are going at the moment mm. it Definitely keeps them, uh, or definitely makes it more likely that they'll stay. So like Ulster haven't, Ulster haven't lost any Irish players that yeah. they wanted to keep, which yeah. is mm-hmm. starters. Mm-hmm. There was probably players that they would have kept, squad players that left for more game time. Mm-hmm. But it will happen. It's inevitable that it's going to happen eventually. But the fact of the matter is that it hasn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there has to be a reason for it. And you, you, you listen to some of the interest that Rory Best, Stephen Ferris were getting over the years, it's a credit to Ulster and the IRFU that they managed to keep them mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Rob Herring must be absolutely increasingly delighted every day that Rory Best's gone. He's now Ulster's <laughs> first choice hooker, Ireland's first choice hooker. What a time to be Rob Herring. Yeah, it probably took a little bit longer than he would have expected when yeah. Rory played on the, the, the ripe <laughs> old age of 37. If you, if you put everyone in Ireland into a room... And you had everybody who was cheering for uh, Rory to stay. You had three <laughs> people in the corner yelling, no! And that's Rob Herring, Adam McBurney and John Andrew. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit harsh. But, um, yeah, their parents as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Cronin and his record number of uh, caps as a substitute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, just really, really nice to see for Rob after all this time. Yeah, especially I think there was a couple of squads that he was in, sorry, Six Nations squads that he was in mm-hmm. and then he never got playing and he was one of those players doing the sort of regular commute um, from Carden House back to Ravenhill, you know, sent back on the Wednesday or the Thursday to play on the Friday for Ulster when he was part of the Six Nations squad. So to finally, mm-hmm. get, to finally get an opportunity to play in the championship, I think is massive for him. 
And it's a real chance as well, because as well as Ronan Keller has been playing, he hasn't played since December the 7th in the Champions Cup. You know, he's been out injured that long, he hasn't played. And it's a real opportunity for Rob, in the same way that um, when he got the first crack in the World Cup warm-ups, it was a big chance for him and he just had that injury. And it was just really unfortunate timing for him. So it's another one of those where you're just hoping that... um, you know, he's got this chance to really nail down a marker, not just to say it's it's great that he's got to play his first Six Nations game, but that he keeps the jersey for the yeah, week after and two absolutely. weeks after that, you know. Yeah. Any other closing remarks in the squad we haven't covered? I think it's really important to note Conway's inclusion because he played so well at the World mm-hmm. Cup and didn't, you know, that didn't lead to his start. Mm-hmm. Um, in the quarterfinal, you've got Healy keeping his place over Kilcoin, uh, which is probably the flip side of that. Now, Kane Healy has played well, but Kilcoin has been as good as he was when he was probably Ireland's best player at the World Cup mm. in very limited minutes. And I don't really think there's anything else. Like It's mm. very close to the team that I think I would have picked, to be honest. You wouldn't have picked John Kenny? I said it's very close, oh, <laughs> very, very close from to the team <laughs> that I would have picked myself. Andrew Conway is 28, just yep. to, yeah, back to that point you were making earlier about him sort of being sneakily, yeah. not old, loath to say 28 old. But yeah. Yeah. Well, so he, he played for two or three years for Leinster, mm. people forget about mm. whenever he broke onto the yeah. scene, like he, yeah. he had a few years with Leinster, then went to Munster and was... Just one of your average squad players, and then really kicked into form um, a couple of years ago, and that's culminated with last season in the World Cup where mm-hmm. he was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like he's given a few interviews as well, not dissimilar to things that Cooney would have said about the like um, psychological approach to things and the mental approach to his preparation. Not in the same way that like John Cooney give you his reading list and you can go in and see <laughs> yeah. everything that he's been doing but like just sort of makes more I suppose allusions to it and yeah you know like it's I think it's been so long like we're talking more than a decade that people almost forget that like Andrew Conway was a schoolboy sensation like mm-hmm. you know he yeah. was Jordan Larmer before Jordan Larmer you know? <laughs> yeah. so we have a couple more questions that we haven't dealt with yet, uh, yet. Donald O'Reilly uh, says that his last few matches at Ravenhill have been spoiled by booze and a lack of respect for the opposition. Then there's all this chat about Cooney not starting, the outrage and genuine fury uh, on social media from Ulster fans, which he says is getting very ugly. Do you think Ulster fans are developing the wrong reputation? I think it's an interesting one, because, as obviously the weekly journal always is, because there's more than one element to this so if you were to read Stand Up and Fight right which is one of my like three favourite rugby books ever and brilliant but so much of that is in the sort of early stages of it is just you know Limerick bitterness about players not getting picked for Ireland <laughs> or you know even players from Gary Owen with chips on their shoulder because they're not getting picked for Monster or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this I this sort of provincial attitude towards national selection or even in bygone eras club attitudes towards provincial selection mm-hmm. has always been a thing. But I agree with Donald in the sense that I think it's 
it's either more it feels more heightened or it feels more apparent than it used to feel i think it's probably a wider societal thing because of social media Mm -hmm. you know everyone's opinion is of equal value everyone has their own way of their opinion being out there rather than just discussing it with your mates over Mm -hmm. a pint or whatever and anyone Uh, anyone can hide behind anonymity online as well Mm -hmm. so there's less of a a fear of voicing your opinion and you're going to get found out for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't have to put your name mm. on Twitter to have an account. Yeah. So you can Just name you, you can name yourself whatever and give yourself whatever mm. Twitter handle and then you can say whatever you want and you know, unless somebody's really willing to dig deep into the internet, they're not going to find out <laughs> who you are. Mm-hmm. Plus everyone's just really angry now. It feels like everybody's much more angry mm. than they used to be. Yeah, so it's only less angry. That's a good life lesson for this week, don't know. To go on to his point about the booze at Kingspan Stadium, this is something that people have brought up before, mm-hmm. um, either on the podcast through a question or online in just generally questioning it. Um, and I think it's interesting that Johnny Petrie announced that they'd uh, kicked out or they'd given a ban to a fan. Um, uh, after the Harlequins game, I think mm-hmm. it was. So, whenever you're talking about Ulster, Ulster have had three consecutive sellouts for the f- first time since Kingspan Stadium was redeveloped. Where have those extra fans come from? Are these rugby fans that have just been sitting at home and have suddenly decided to go to Ravenhill mm-hmm. on a Friday night? Probably not. You've had a few, but probably not. It's probably people who are deciding... Ulster doing well, I'm going to go for the first time, or I'm going to come back after a while. Or it's a general sports fan who's decided, I'm going to give rugby a crack. But you've got people who are coming from other backgrounds where they don't realise that rugby is generally a respectful sport. If the opposition kick a goal, you clap politely. You're not cheering wildly for the other team scoring, you're clapping politely to respect you've scored. If the other team score, you generally don't boo, you just you're silent because mm-hmm. the other team have scored. But coming from other sports backgrounds, like football, like... Oh, I can't even think of another one off the top of my head. But, you know... <laughs> fo- We're sad in the Belfast Telegraph Sports Department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but you, get, you get my point. You know, whenever you're coming mm-hmm. from other sports, you're... These people are bringing that culture to rugby. So... Whenever something happens, you know, your instinct is to fall back on the culture that you know. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just takes, you know, people to come for a while to realise, okay, this isn't what we do. I don't think people are necessarily wrong for being. Mm -hmm. I I think people, whenever you see something you don't like, your natural instinct is to rally against it. Your natural instinct is to, you know, voice your displeasure at something. I think it, it's just going to take time for people mm-hmm. to realise that rugby is a respectful environment, so whenever something that you don't like happens, you, d- you don't boo or anything mm-hmm. like that. I don't like to hear booing at Kingspan Stadium as much as anybody else, but I'm not going to lose my mind mm-hmm. over it. You know, people people will do this, and um, I think it's, it's just reinforcing those values that... Um, Ulster, I, th- I think, put in the programme every week, you know, mm-hmm. we are respectful of the kicker, we are respectful of the opposition, so on and so forth. Rugby's a brilliant yeah. sport in that it's one of the very few where, you know, fans can intermingle, you know, you're, you're not buying 
uh, tickets for an away section or a home section. You buy tickets for wherever you want to stand and you can stand in the middle of the home support and you know that you're not going to get, you know, abuse for it mm. or for cheering on your team. And I love that about rugby. I love that rugby mm. is a very inclusive sport. So it's it's just one of those things where people are disappointed and frustrated and it boils over but that's not necessarily a bad thing you would like to see it clamp down on but look it's gonna happen i feel like there's a lot more booing of correct refereeing decisions that's my take on it i can't see uh glentoran fans ever clapping a linfield goal in a, in a big two derby or anything i don't think it's gonna it's gonna go the other way where this uh rugby polite clapping is going to infiltrate into football well the last sporting event that i was at that wasn't rugby was linfield against cliftonville in solitude so for anyone that thinks ravenhill is getting a little bit out of hand <laughs> yeah you need some perspective good in actually games mental but gloriously mental i love it anyway um Stuart Martin, our final list question of the day, asks about the nine Ulstermen in the Ireland squad. Uh, he says, how much will the release of these players back to Ulster impact Pro 14 preparation during the Six Nations? And would it be better for Ulster just to utilise the players who aren't in the Ireland squad at all to avoid that um, impact on the preparation? Just use players who are with Ulster full time. It's interesting because it can go both ways. You see some people come back and they look like they haven't been in the environment for a week and then you see other players come back and they've sort of got a point to prove like um i remember paddy jackson i think winning a game late on for ulster having been released back um so you know you get moments like that logistically i wonder if there's going to be more value in it this year though because you look at what ulster are doing with their week so ulster now typically are in on a Monday, off on a Tuesday, and then have a session on a Wednesday. Typically, Ireland are still down on Sunday, Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday is the off day. So with the team being now announced on Tuesday for Ireland, theoretically, those who aren't involved are going to... Well, they're not going to know earlier in the week. We're going to know earlier in the week. But there'll be less cloak and dagger trying to keep it hidden. Mm -hmm. So the players that aren't going to be involved could theoretically go and train with Ulster and get a session on Wednesday. Mm. So it could be less of an issue this time around. Um, so you'd, you know, you still get to be involved in training during the week. You're not just what was happening before, which was you were doing captain's run, which is essentially nothing, yeah. and then playing on the Friday. So what do we think of Ireland's hopes for the Six Nations? Will they be able to stop England winning it? Doing the Grand Slam? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I've just Ireland are our second favourites. England are odds on. Ireland are second favourites. I think that's right. France's odds are getting smaller by the day. Mm, six to one. Everyone's, this podcast. everyone's getting on this bandwagon. France, <laughs> France's hopes rely on that first game. If they can beat England... What then, a game, though. What a game, oh to be, man, what a game to be in the first weekend. Can't wait. France, France are, can I just talk about France for a second? I love the fact... Is it 19 uncapped players they've named their squad? No, it's a 42-man squad. It's a massive squad. But 19 uncapped players, they have very much bought into this whole, right, World Cup's over, new four-year cycle, let's go, big clear out, bring all the young guys in, brilliant, absolutely love it. That's a team that has so much potential if they decide, let's give this a crack, let's give these young guys a go, you know, bring in, I know Demba Bamba's already been involved, but let's make him our starting tight head with 
Rabbit Slimani now jettisoned from the squad. Let's just let Bamber mm-hmm. run loose uh, in the in the game and let him have fun wherever he wants. Bring in you know guys like. Boris Palo, who I think has been really good for Racing. You look at the three fly halves, Jalabert and Carbonell are two really exciting young players. I can't even remember who the other one is. Entomac. Entomac. There we go. Entomac, who is one of the most exciting players, whether you play him at 10 or 12. You know, there's so much exciting young talent mm. in that squad. Do you think Coons are going to win it? I don't think France no. are going to win it. But I think they're going to be an awful lot better, which is what the Six Nations need. Because the Six Nations has become two-tier, evenly split over the past decade. And for everyone saying how unpredictable it is, it's actually got quite predictable. Because Scotland are always rubbish, France have been rubbish, Mm -hmm. and Italy haven't won a game since 2015. (laughs) So the Six Nations needs a more competitive France. Mm -hmm. All those players that Adam listed there are all going to get experience in this tournament. They're going to be then more experienced in a year's time. Mm -hmm. And what you want to see is continuity which you never get from France. So they're almost starting afresh, doing it from a position where their under-20s have won two world championships. They've got a proper professional coach in, a modern professional coach. They've got Sean Edwards in as a defence coach, whose defence was essentially the most important part of Wales winning a Grand Slam this year. Mm -hmm. So all the elements are now in place. I don't think that they're going to win this year, but I would go as far as to say I think far in advance that they're going to win the World Cup on home soil in four for, years' time. They're too, they're too fresh this year, Yeah, but I think they'll be the most exciting team mm. to watch. They might not be the best team to watch, but they'll be the mm. most exciting. I also think they're going to feature in the two most interesting games, which is this weekend mm-hmm. and then their game against Wales. Mm-hmm. Because I think if they show up in those two tests, then it augurs well, as I say, not just for them, but for the tournament moving forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they go out and get hammered this weekend, then, well, I'm going to look very silly because I've already written my Saturday piece about how an exciting France is going to reinvigorate this competition. So if it's not going to be the most interesting game of the weekend, it's going to be the one we're going to look at most. Ireland against Scotland uh, should be a win for Ireland without too much difficulty. Yep. I don't don't think there needs to be much said about this game. (laughs) Scotland without Finn Russell are a completely different prospect to Mm. Scotland with Finn Russell. And I I do actually admire Gregor Townsend for taking a stand and, you know, making that decision for what went on, you know. By all accounts, it sounds like he had to, like, doesn't it? Yeah. I think from what it sounds like went on... I think he would have lost command of the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. if he had of you know just allowed into rock back into training. It's been interesting hearing all the Scotland players saying you know we need everyone pulling in the same direction. Townsend makes this call. I mean, it it would have been so easy for them to say you know all right, slap on the wrists, small fine or something like that for Russell because he is so important to them. But they've really made the big call. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I I don't see Scotland as a team as a twenty three being in the same you know bracket as yeah. Ireland. Johnny summed it up perfectly. I think there's two tiers in the Six Nations. France are kind of blurring the lines between the two, but Scotland are very much in in the bottom mm-hmm. tier, and Ireland are in the top. And I don't think there's anything from this Scotland team that should have Ireland all together that worried it gets lost in the shuffle a wee bit because of how things ended for Ireland but like nobody had a worse time with that World Cup than Scotland (laughs) they were horrendous didn't get out of the pool Ireland 
generally good against anybody else but thumped them. Mm. Finn Russell is their second as much as Adam Hastings is a good replacement, Finn Russell is their second best player. And even without the toll that that takes on the pitch, the very fact that that situation has happened hints at an unhappy mm-hmm. camp. You know, you no, could absolutely. talk about players having to leave or players not getting paid what they think that they're worth in Scotland when salaries of executives are then being leaked that dwarf anything that any player is getting. It all just sounds very uh, like a very unhappy camp. And like a 13-point handicap sounds about right to me. Fair. So just before we go, some uh, breaking also will be contract news. Mally Ray has signed a two-year contract extension that keeps him at Ulster until uh, summer of 2022. And Stuart Moore has signed a three-year contract, so one year as a development player and then two as a senior professional. This season as a development player? Well, that's what I was about to say. It's not actually clear whether it's counting this season, so whether that contract would take him up to 2022. Do you know whether that's starting in the summer and takes him I, w- I would imagine it means it's starting in the summer. Yeah, it, it means that way. See, I but because otherwise I it would have said he'd be promoted to a development yeah. contract immediately and then next season we'll go on to who knows maybe it just starts now and it just ends randomly in mid-season and he'll just well, move in January to there, is, there is previous for this of players getting bumped up from the academy mid-season to make room for sub-academy back three players to come into the academy either way the same two contracts just if, so if, that, if that was a situation that was going to play it with mm. Ethan McElroy maybe I don't know who knows? Matt. It'll come to the summer of 2022. Stuart Murray will leave and we'll go, see, you know, another year in contract. We'll go, yeah, you see, this whole thing. Um, anyway, yeah. fully, fully deserved for Matt Ray. I, I think whenever you consider uh, how he's managed to factor his way into that Ulster back row this year, especially given how injury-free the entire back row seems to have been, you know, but Marcel Katsia has sort of been in and out, but you expected that from him anyway. They probably would have managed his minutes. But you look at Jordy Murphy being relatively injury-free. You look at Sean Reedy. It's been a really good season for Ray, and it's great to see Ulster-born talent being rewarded with a new deal. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's great to see him sticking around. The devil's in the detail, Stuart Murray says in his very last line, uh, when I formally join the senior ranks at the start of next season. There we go. Mystery solved. What a way to end the podcast on that bombshell. From Adam McKendry. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Jonathan Bradley. Thank you. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening. The Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast with open reach, building the broadband network that connects us all. Check for ultra-fast, ultra-reliable full-fibre broadband at openreach.co.uk forward slash ni.